They want me to get rid of my dog. Can they do that? I'm being fined for leaving my garage door open too long. What are covenants? Do I have any rights? Help, I feel like I've left the American zone. If you want the answers to those questions, join me, Shoe Bartholomew, and my guests on The Commons every Saturday from 2 to 3 right here on WBR Fairfax Radio. We'll ask the experts and we'll untangle the truth about what's left of our property rights. On the Commons is a weekly radio show dedicated to discussing the many issues surrounding mandatory membership homeowners associations. Join us as we explore this relatively new world of controlled living, which includes condominiums, cooperatives, and both attached and detached single-family homes. Living in a common ownership development means giving up the American dream. It means giving up your constitutional rights and control over your most valuable asset, your home. Living in a homeowners association means leaving the American zone. This is On the Commons, and I am Shu Bartholomew. Back on, by popular demand, I have none other than Debbie Goonan, who's, I should say Deborah Goonan, who mm-hmm. is a blogger, phenomenal blogger. She's got the independentcommunities.com, where she follows all the trends of what's going on in HOA land. And we have a whole list of them today, and we'll not get to all of them, so we'll have to plan on having you back. But Debbie, thanks so much for <laughs> joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me back, Shu. I enjoy our conversations, and we usually have a lot of fun. We do have a lot of fun, and <laughs> we do talk about a lot of things. But I think today what we're going to do is debunk a few of the HOA lies. Are you game? Oh, and I'm game on that. You're game on that. All right. Where are we going to start? Okay. You want to start with this uh, property values? I think that's a good place to start, Shu. Um, I was recently made aware of a white paper that uh, Community, Community Associations Institute um, had written back in 2015. Um, one of my readers and, and a homeowner that I follow in uh, Diamond Head, Mississippi, uh, posted this on her Facebook page, and um, you know it intrigued me. So I decided to download a copy of the paper. It's 23 pages, and and read it. Uh, the name of the study <clears throat> is the impact of community associations on residential property values: a review of the literature prepared by Aaron A. Hopkins, assistant professor of Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. Now, a literature a review of literature basically means that this was not an actual research study in and of itself, but basically what uh, Aaron Hopkins did was to go back and look at the, the limited amount of research that's been done on this topic um, and kind of synthesize what the conclusions were on all of the studies, and then, uh, you know, make some recommendations for future research. Okay, so that's what the paper is all about. Um, and it's clear, if, if when you read the introduction to the paper, it's clear that the, pa- that the paper was written, most likely written for community associations, institute, and other industry stakeholders 
because she mentions right in the paper um, that it should be helpful to members of Community Associations Institute as they are involved in crafting, implementing, and managing community associations. Um, and lying through their teeth about it, too. <laughs> she forgot well, that. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, uh, you know, at least uh, manipulating the truth, right? Uh, um, is that a nice way of saying lying? That, that's a nice, I'm trying to be polite. You are so sweet, Debbie. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what the first thing that that um, stuck out to me about this paper, uh, before I get into some of the details, is that uh, one one of the shortcomings is that uh, the paper conflates uh, two separate issues. They can conflate community, what they call community associations. We call them association governed communities or, or HOAs, um, you know, generically, it conflates the HOA governance layer with restrictive covenants or CCNRs. And the paper doesn't really acknowledge the fact that you can have CCNRs without having an HOA to enforce the CCNRs. And in fact, what a concept, before, eh? Right. Before the 1970s, um, you know, that's how, see, if you had CCNRs on a property and they were fairly common, you know, you might have CCNRs for the property that would say, well, you can't have um, any livestock. And that's still a common one today. You can't have any livestock in your yard or you, you can't um, start a, a business that would cause, um, you know, a, a nuisance you know, noise or something like that, or noxious odors, or you, can, you can't drill oil on your property, you know, if you're living in a residential neighborhood. I mean, these things kind of made sense. Uh, of course, a little uh, further along in history, there were also the uh, restrictive covenants against certain race and ethnic groups. Um, you know, that's kind of a dark period in American history. Uh, all of those were made... Um, they were deemed unenforceable in 1948 after a Supreme Court ruling. Um, and then in the 1960s, beginning in 1968, with Fair Housing uh, Acts. And, uh, you know, of course, it became illegal to even make any kind of housing discrimination based on someone's race or their religion or their ethnic background. And then later on, you, you can't discriminate, you know, because of familial status um, and so forth. So, but the CCNRs themselves have kind of perpetuated for many, many years. And it wasn't until the 1970s, uh, ironically, shortly after the passage of all the Fair Housing Acts, um, that you started to see homeowners associations cropping up in order to enforce these restrictions. Um, and so a lot of the early restrictions were, um, you know, you, you can't hang laundry out in the backyard or, you know, they don't want an antenna up. You have to keep your grass cut uh, to a certain length. Um, you know, there has to be a certain architectural standard, certain paint colors and so forth and so on. And as you and I both know, Shu, over the decades, the, the, the number of 
covenants and restrictions has increased uh, exponentially. It's become more and more picky as to what you can and can't do with your property. Um, So now that you have this organization called the Homeowners Association or Condo Association or Cooperative, whatever it may be, that can enforce all of these rules, you no longer, if you have a problem with something that your neighbor is doing in their yard, it used to be, you know, you would go and talk to your neighbor and say, you know, I really don't like, uh, you know, this fence that you put up, it's encroaching on my property or, you know, it's blocking uh, sunlight from my garden, you know, and then trying to work something out with your neighbor. Um, Now, if there's a problem that you have and it, it goes against uh, any of the rules or restrictions, which can be very picky in these associations, you just go to the HOA and say, you know, I don't like that so-and-so, um, you know, their kids are leaving their toys out or they left their garage door open and they didn't put their garbage can back or whatever it is. Now, uh, you can kind of do that, and in some cases anonymously, depending on state law. Now you have a situation where the HOA uh, becomes the enforcer. And, of course, we, as we both know, when you have a couple of people who are in charge of enforcing the rules, and especially if you have a management company involved, um, sometimes rule enforcement can become either selective or just uh, out of control. Um, and that's where a lot of the, the conflicts come in. And then later on in the 1990s, uh, Community Associations Institute lobbied heavily for the right to impose monetary fines for any uh, violations of these covenants and restrictions. So the bottom line is that you have to keep in mind that there's actually three layers of any of these planned communities. One is the actual construction of the community itself. You know, how the, what kind of houses are there, how they're laid out, what kind of amenities are there, the built environment, that's what they call it in the industry. You have your covenants and restrictions, and then you have your governance layer on top of that. And in most cases, that's some kind of a homeowners association, although um, in some communities, there's also special tax districts in addition to or instead of um, the homeowners association. So that was the first thing that that stuck out to me about the paper. Um, but regardless, there, there were some interesting points that were summarized in Hopkins Review, looking at the studies that um, were done starting in like 1989 and spanning till about 2015. And she reviewed maybe about 20 studies, you know, 10 to 20 studies. Um, So she first explains that association-governed communities have the potential, the potential to impact property values through implementation of building and use restrictions. And she actually uses the word private governments to describe community associations and acknowledges that they have the power to enact rules and enforce restrictive covenants. Um, and in her review of the studies, uh, they collectively concluded that restrictions themselves, not the homeowners association, the, the CCNRs themselves, can increase home prices by anywhere from 2 to 
However, however, the value of restrictive covenants and association governing bodies that enforce these restrictions has been shown to decrease over time. And one of the things that she found in all of these studies is that, um, you know, in it, for a 10-year-old neighborhood um, based on restrictions, we're found to have a 6% housing value increase. Then she says a 20-year-old neighborhood was found to have only a 2% housing value increase. But in 20 to 25 years, deed restrictions actually had a negative impact on deed-restricted subdivisions. So that alone tells us that um, why do we need to have perpetual CCNRs and restrictions on neighborhoods? You know what? I want to jump in here. Um, Mm -hmm. for a minute because I live in one of the areas where a lot of this stuff started. A lot Mm -hmm. of these massive, you know, Reston and um, Columbia, Maryland, Reston, Virginia, and a lot of these city-sized associations, private governments were started. Right. And, of course, they came up with, and Berk Center is one of them, um, not quite as big as the others, but they came up with all these ideas. Hey, isn't it great? We're going to be able to dictate this, and we're going to dictate that, and we're going to dictate all the other. How and why they ever got away with handing someone a paint chip and saying the only colors you can ever use on your house are, and the following. But they would also right. name the the paint, and in some cases they would name the only place you could buy the paint. Right. Um, because which was a sweet deal for the supplier, right? It's which was a supplier. Yeah, Hackinger's was one of the, and I don't know how many Hackinger's there were around the country, but we had Hackinger's here. And, mm-hmm. you know, you had to go to Hackinger's and you had to take them this paint chip and then you, exactly what color, but, you know, if, if there was just a little shade of white more or whatever, I mean, the HOA would be all over you. Right. But what happened, the the thinking in those days was, oh, isn't it stunning to walk into into a development and everything is exactly the same. Your eye just moves over the same crappy green or, you know, bird center brown or whatever. But what happened was trends changed, tastes changed. Exactly right. And the place looked dated because it was mm-hmm. dated. It, it didn't just look at it. It was dated. It's like going and into the, and a house and seeing, believe it right. or not, turquoise appliances or pink refrigerator sitting there. Right, right. The know, Harvest Gold. Remember Harvest Gold? Oh, yeah, but even that was beyond the rage. Harvest uh-huh. Gold and the browns and the, mm-hmm. oh, it, I mean, yeah, the avocados and, and all of that. Shag carpet. Remember Shag Carpet? Absolutely. So you walk into a house and you see that right. and you go, oh, my God, and you turn around and you walk right out again because it is dated. And what HOAs have done is impose this right. sense that you're never going to move out of the year or the decade that this stupid thing was and, built. And some of the research that Hopkins um, reviewed actually uh, – confirms your point, Shu, because they found that in communities where you had excessive restrictions 
in terms of architectural control, um, the and especially if it was in an area that also had uh, heavy zoning restrictions from the local municipality, those two things have a negative effect on property values, and that was borne out by the uh, you know by the research that was done over the past you know twenty years. So it's not just anecdotal. I mean, there is a little bit of research, uh, several studies that were done to, that support exactly what we're saying. But it's it's common sense, though, Shu, isn't it? Um, you know, the, yeah. There's into, nothing common about it, Debbie. That's that's my go, whole point. When you go into a house, when you go into a house that was built, say, in the 1960s or the 1970s. And it looks like a time capsule, but the people haven't changed anything in yeah. the house, not the kitchen, not the floor coverings, the wallpaper, everything is old. I mean, it's not that appealing as a home buyer unless you're the type of home buyer that uh, wants retro. to pick up a fixer-upper. <laughs> and you can go in and you can gut it, you know, and start knocking down walls and ripping down wallpaper. And you can do a lot of that stuff inside the house, but, but you can't touch the outside. It, it, if it's in one of these communities with restrictions that are still stuck in the 1970s or the 1980s, you can't really touch the outside with asking mother may I to your homeowners association and, you know, will they or won't they let you make a change? And then if the restrictions are so specific that they can't easily be amended, you're stuck with, you know, that, that, P111 wood vertical siding that looks like paneling on the outside or the Tudor look, you know, that was so popular <laughs> there for a while. You know, these, these you houses, rid of it. These, these houses, the Tudor houses, you go to London, you go to England, you go to Europe, you look at these and in the day they were gorgeous. Go to San Francisco, I've never been there, but you look at what they call mm-hmm. the painted ladies. Right. Those are originals and those, right. there's there's a lot of good good value to something like that. But when you have a cheap imitation made out of cardboard right. and scotch tape, and then mm-hmm. you load on these absolutely ludicrous restrictions, you've just right. created a disaster. Right. You know, you've just, you're just perpetuating something that, you know, is 20 or 30 years old. And... Who's going to buy these houses? I mean, most of them presumably would have to turn over eventually to uh, millennials, right, to the younger generation, (laughs) the ones who are uh, supposedly going to be starting families and looking for a house. And, you know, I have a son who's a millennial, and, and I can tell you that he's not at all interested in buying a house, number one, and that if he were interested in buying a house, he certainly isn't interested in a cookie cutter uh, every house looks the same kind of a look or following rules about, you know, you have to put your, your bike away and your garbage can away by a certain time because, you know, your neighbor might look out and see that your bike is still out there uh, or that your garbage can is not in your garage at the, at the time with the garage door closed. I mean, um, you know, it, it's just not appealing to a lot of younger buyers, it's and in fact, it's becoming irritating to a lot of older buyers. Um, you know, people who have lived in some of these communities for a while, and then if they're able, like me, uh, to escape and to move out, they're starting to ask real estate agents to sh- to show them houses that are not 
associated with any sort of an HOA whatsoever. You know, no HOA, that's a deal breaker. And that's becoming a selling point. I'm noticing it on um, active listings now. If there's no HOA, that's prominently displayed on there, just like, you know, it granite always counters. Has been. It always has been. Mm-hmm. Back when, back when um, you know, years ago, 30 years ago, when I started getting involved, we noticed that, it, that um, realtors were advertising no HOA. And we had, uh, we had started a, uh, a, an organization, a homeowner's rights organization, um, Mm-hmm. And we had a newsletter, and we would advertise these listings in our newsletter to our to everybody who read these. You know, here right. are yeah. I mean, if there was a development, and in those days you still could thirty years ago, twenty five years ago, you could still still have you know a little development, but the big stuff was coming in, and then you ended up with all the mandates. So that kind of took care of that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it we did. We we gave them free ads. Hmm. We put that yeah. stuff out because people didn't want the HOAs. They didn't right. want all of that. And the other thing too, Debbie, you're talking about covenants that apply to the actual home as opposed mm-hmm. you know, there's the, the homeowner's property and then there's the properties. And plural, which is the yep. HOA property, you know, everything that's mm-hmm. allegedly, and, and I know I'm going to get people calling me up, they don't own them, you don't own them, it's the HOA that owns them, but owned mm-hmm. by the HOA, basically. Mm-hmm. But that's part and parcel of the property values. There was a time right. when when I first got involved that CAI was saying, oh, these things are going to protect you, they're going to enhance your property values, because... People are going to pay more because there's a pool within walking distance. What they didn't say was that Mm -hmm. people didn't want to risk the value and and losing their houses to maintain a pool that was managed by people who didn't know the first thing about a pool. Right. And that's, you know, and that became another one of those big lies. Right. People don't want right. to. Right. So people are going to, well, in fact, another thing that was reviewed in some of the studies, they did, there was some research that was done about gated communities <laughs> and private roads. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So here, here's what Hopkins has to say about that. Gating has been, gating as in gated communities, has been seen to increase property values 7 to 24% within different regions of the United States. Now, these were based on two studies, one from 2001 and another one from 2009. So they're already dated studies, okay? Even when there are no additional amenities within the gated community as compared to their ungated neighbors, a 6.07% price premium is observed. That's from a 2001 study. Private streets seem to add virtually no further value beyond the HOA. That was also in 2001. Although an increased HOA size does not negate the premium of being located within an HOA, it has been observed that relatively larger HOAs command lower sale prices, which may be due to the less exclusive and intimate nature. And that was a more recent study. That was in 2014. So now if you look at the dates when the studies were done on gate, gated communities, 
the most recent one was done in 2009, almost 10 years ago. Well, what's happened since that time? Since that time, we've had a deep recession. And one of the most expensive amenities to upkeep uh, is a gate, especially if you have guards at the gate. But even if you have like a, an automatic lift gate, those things break down frequently. And somebody has to manage them. The equipment is expensive. So what's happened over the last uh, decade is that a lot of communities have said, you know, money was tight with, with all the foreclosures and people losing their jobs and, uh, you know, assessments were going through the roof. And some communities have decided that they were either, either they got rid of the guards on their gate and they just have an automatic lift or they even opened the gates altogether because it got to the point where it was just too expensive to pay for it. And so that's why uh, more recently, in 2013 and 2016, the National Association of Home Builders also does market studies because they want to know what do buyers want, what buyers don't want. They have to have their um, finger on the pulse of the market because, of course, these are home builders, and they don't want to build homes that people don't want. Well, in their two studies, they found out in 2013 and 2016, they have what they call their 10 most unwanted features by homeowners. <laughs> and one of them was gated communities. Oh, really? And the other one was golf, and the other one was golf communities. Let me see if I can um, look at the bar chart here. Gated communities, yeah. while you're looking for that, the gated communities... When they first came out, there were a lot of books that were written about gated communities. Yep. And um, one of the big, you know, one of the big reasons for wanting it was because people felt secure. Oh, they could go beyond the gates and, you know, nobody could do anything to them. They found right. out so that they found out that robberies were had increased. Right. Uh, and. You know, the gates were not keeping people out. People felt they had this false sense of security. That's exactly what happens. And in fact, um, in 2013, the NHHB survey found that 48% of buyers do not want a gated community and 66% did not want a golf course community. Yeah. Isn't that something? And well, um, that goes and, that goes back to to uh, talking about the amenities that were every you know CAI was selling. Oh, this is great! It's going to enhance the value of your property because you've got a pool, you've got a golf course, you've got tennis courts, you've got this, that, and the other. But then people realized right. that it just wasn't that that simple. And the gates, the gates were mm -hmm. a false sense of security. People, you know, we had <laughs> we had homeowners contact us and say we took the gates down and crime went down. Right. Because, because what happens is when you have a gate, the local police don't come into the community, or if you have private roads too, the, the, private, the local police or the state police won't come into the community unless they're invited or called for a specific reason. So there's no routine patrols. Uh, you know, the, the the local law enforcement isn't driving or walking through there on a regular basis. They don't get to know the the neighborhood or who belongs and who doesn't belong and what might seem out of place. They're only called after the fact, you know, when after a crime or vandalism has already occurred. And criminals know this. So 
now what you're seeing, and I had a couple of uh, things that I posted on my website out of Las Vegas and I forget what other city. They know that there's not going to be any local patrols, so they set up shop. They find a house that's in foreclosure or something that they can squat in or that they can buy really cheap, and they move into the house and they conduct their criminal activity in the house behind the gate. It gets even more, that, more simple than that. I mean, we tend to yep. forget that crooks and thieves need a place to live as well. They're not, they're not on the street. Right. And quite often they will go and they think that there's, because you live behind the gate, that you have mm-hmm. something to protect. So you're an right. even bigger target than you would be if you weren't behind the gate. Good point. Um, And also, people who are behind the gate, as I said, have this false sense of security. So they're less cautious about making sure they lock their doors, their windows, or tight, you know, just battening down the hatches. They just assume that the gates are going to keep the bad people out. Right, and I I actually lived in a gated golf community. (laughs) We lived in a gated golf community, and I saw all of that. Um, you know, there there were people that would leave their car out in their driveway because we were allowed to leave the car in the driveway. It wasn't that picky. Okay, isn't it lovely um, that you were allowed to do they, something on your yeah, own property? I'm you amazed. Put it in, you couldn't park it in the street. They didn't like if you parked it in the street, but you could put it on the on the uh, in the driveway. Um, and there people were leaving their doors unlocked in their vehicle overnight. And then the next thing you know, posted out on Nextdoor and on Facebook, you see, oh, somebody broke into my car. And, you know, well, you left your door unlocked, you know, so the local police and the sheriff had to, you know, send notices out, you know, please lock your doors. Um, Just because you live in in a gated community, that doesn't mean that somebody isn't going around looking for unlocked cars. And it could be somebody who lives in the community. Yeah. You know, it's very convenient for them. It's their own neighborhood. Um, they know it well because they live there. They know all the side streets. They know where what places aren't lit up as much at night. They know who's out of town, you know, who's a seasonal resident. And that's how they choose their houses to break into or cars to break into. You know, it's as simple as that. So there's so many so. things that, you know, on the surface might make sense. But when you mm-hmm. sort of scratch the surface, you get right down to the nitty-gritty. And mm-hmm. it, it's not at all what it seems. So don't, you know, don't buy everything that you're told. You're being yeah, shunted yeah. into these things not for your benefit, mm-hmm. but you're being lied to. And it's for the benefit of local municipal governments, for the industry, for the developers, Everybody else, everybody else benefits from this, except for right. you. Um, yeah. Right. It's not. It's not necessarily consumer friendly. Um, and uh, the the conclusion of Hopkins' paper, just you know, so we could wrap up our discussion on this. The conclusion of Hopkins' paper was that um, uh, there's very limited research done on this topic. And it could be improved in many ways. For example, the, the studies looked at specific geographic locations. It wasn't something that, that you could necessarily generalize to other states or even another 
area of the same state, um, you know, they look at maybe one town in Virginia or one town in California or something. Um, and so they're not, you know, they're not generalizable. And they didn't control for control for variables. What that means is, you know, they're looking at houses that are in HOAs and houses that are not uh, that are not in HOAs or that don't have um, uh, covenants and restrictions. But what they're not looking at is, okay, um, it may in one market it may seem that the houses that have these covenants and restrictions and HOAs are are selling for higher prices, but they're also newer, those houses, they're larger. They might have four bedrooms instead of three bedrooms. Uh, they, the, you know, they tend to have more than one bathroom. Older homes may only have one bathroom. All of these things affect uh, the value of a home. Right. And one of the criticisms that uh, Hopkins noted in the conclusions is that, you know, you need to take into account these controlling var- variables such as neighborhood characteristics, number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, because she says this can overstate results and make them less accurate, which is something that we've been saying for a long time, Shu. Yeah. Um, you know, just because it's not necessarily the HOA itself that's uh, resulting in higher sale prices. It's the type of house. Um, maybe the you know the convenient location in some cases because you know developers are not um, stupid they they tend to pick uh, you know the best pieces of land with convenient access to where people work and then if you want to try to buy a house that's not in one of these planned communities well there's no land available in that location or in that school district. Sometimes the school district is, is another uh, factor. So these things were not necessarily um, taken into account in the research. So, you know, if you have a research study that says, okay, well, the prices are 6% higher or 12% higher, well, if you didn't take those into account, maybe the real effect is nothing or, you know, half of what it was stated. Further research is needed. Um, but there's no real convincing evidence that having uh, covenants or having an HOA increases property values. And if you looked at all of the, the uh, studies together, <clears throat> there were 55% of them out of the 20 that she looked at said, okay, there's a positive effect. <clears throat> but the other 45% either had mixed results or a negative effect on values. So you're talking only a little bit more than half, and if those little bit more than half that had a positive effect happen to have overstated values, well, now you have a fairly weak argument that HOAs and covenants protect property values. So basically we are no closer to having something definitive one way or the other. Right. Which means, right. Which means in my opinion... That H, you know, you you can't say HOAs protect property values because they don't. And then if you go back to what Bill and I were talking about last week, where you look at the value of ownership, what mm-hmm. you can do with your house. You right. Know, maybe you want red roses in your front yard. Maybe you don't mind having a dusty mailbox, but having someone right. 
micromanage your every move, hound you to death, fine you into oblivion. It's right. not increasing the value of your property. There's no value to it. It's not all monetary value. There's right. value of There's being a... able to do what you want to do in your own home. Mm-hmm. Right. Certain intrinsic values, you know. Um, yeah. Intangible, intangible values. Things that you can't touch or see or feel, but, you know, you just have the peace of mind to know that if you go and put plant new flowers in your front yard, somebody isn't going to complain about it. And you're not going to get a nasty letter with a threat for a fine because you put too many rose bushes in your yard. But things like that yeah. happen all the time. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah. here's a hundred dollar fine because there's dust on your mailbox. <gasps> what kind of a sloppy lady are you? You haven't dusted your mailbox. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> you don't give me a break or, yep. or your, or your, House numbers don't conform to the neighborhood. Really? Well, how about how about the five hundred dollar mailbox? Remember the oh, mandatory oh, yeah, five hundred yeah, yeah. dollar mailbox in yeah. in, uh, in Missouri? Missouri, I um, thought it, it was, was in one of, Well, it, it might have been, but um, you know, I know that the homeowner ended up taking uh, you know taking that to court, and he eventually won, but it cost him I don't know tens of thousands of dollars in legal expenses um, because they weren't all reimbursed to him in the end. Um, and, you know, fortunately he had the money to, to fight that battle on principle. Um, but, you know, most people can't do that. And most people aren't going to, it's too stressful and it's too expensive for most people to get into these battles over really kind of trivial stuff. It's, it's over principle. It, it's mm-hmm. over principle. It's your house. It's your mailbox. You should be allowed to do what you want with it. Exactly. It, you know, it, you, you can't go beyond that. But let's, um, because we are, I mean, that's that's great on the values. But mm-hmm. again, if you have something that's built out of cardboard and scotch tape and wrapped in plastic, Debbie. Yep, yep. How valuable is it? Yeah. So one of the one of the um things that you have on your website and by the way it's, it's independentcommunities.com. I, I independent American communities. I'm sorry. I forgot something. Independent American <laughs> communities. Um mm-hmm. .com check it out. There are so many stories, so many links, so many serve tidbits but make sure you got tons of time because it's going to take a lot of time to go through even a, a little bit of this but one of the ones that is also near and dear to my heart as you well know is the way that housing is constructed today it's just mm-hmm. slapped together with garbage yeah and you have a link to a youtube a uh, house in Northern Virginia, right where I live. Mm-hmm. That was, and everything is going. You know, everything is in wrapped in plastic. These vinyl siding. It's oh so pretty. I have people 
pounding on my door, you know, you need to get some vinyl siding, really? Why? Um, mm -hmm. But they are a hazard. They're a fire hazard. Right. Yeah, it, it melts. <laughs> well, the, um, you have the YouTube, the connection to the, uh, the link to the YouTube. And the fire marshal said it just went up and, you know, these houses went up in flames. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And the, he called it lightweight construction, and he, he talked about old and new building construction. And it's not just the vinyl siding, but also the way that the houses are framed and the material that they use for the floors and the floorboards and the wallboards and the framing. And what he says in this um, video investigation, it was Channel 9 um, out of, I forget exactly what channel in Virginia. But anyway... Um, as soon as one of these newer houses, newer construction houses, catches fire, the fire tends to spread quickly, and the floor, if you have a two-story house, the floor basically collapses from the second floor into the first floor within minutes, within minutes. Um, he compares that to a fire that happened in an older construction house, that house they were able to save, even though it took them, you know, at least as long, if not a bit longer, to get to the house to fight the fire. Because they were able to actually enter the house to fight the fire. There was no danger of the ceiling collapsing on them. Um, you know, they didn't have vinyl siding melting and, and making toxic fumes. Um, in the newer community, because the houses are close together, too, and they all have this vinyl siding. Not only did the house that have the fire get destroyed, it's a total loss, but several of the neighbors have melted vinyl siding on their house yeah. just from being in proximity yeah. to the heat from the flames. Yeah. Which is something that you didn't see like in the old days when they had um, aluminum siding or uh, brick, you know, or sometimes stone or other other harder surfaces that were more... Um, more durable, and even some of the sidings um, were were less flammable. So it, it wasn't that one little spark would cause it to either melt or go up in flames. Uh, I also did a story not long ago about low E windows. Um, low low E windows. These are the energy-efficient windows, a specific kind of energy-efficient window that is meant to reflect the sun's rays in the summer so that the heat doesn't enter your house, and then in the winter um, to allow, when the, when the sun's rays are lower and less intense, to allow that to come in for the warmth, and it's supposed to save you money on your heating and cooling bills. The problem is, in order to make these windows low E, there's uh, some kind of a reflective coating on the outside, and there there are two panes with like gas in between them. Yeah. And what happened is, um, at certain times of the day when the sun is low in the sky, like uh, like in the late afternoon, 
you would have a sunny day and the sun would be beating off of some windows and the reflection was so intense that there are actually documented cases of the heat reflected from the windows starting a fire either on a neighboring property or in the like in the yard you know like the shrub would start on fire or the mulch or you know especially if it happened to be a dry season in the year i missed that story <laughs> mhm i missed so, that one wow yeah so that's another one that's that's been going on and of course the industry that manufactures the windows is saying they're downplaying it. Well, that's not really the case. And their their research says that that's not really the case. But, of course, you know, there's research on the other side that says, yes, it's documented and this is happening. Um, and I guess they've had to, the industry has had to scramble to, to make some modifications to their process of manufacturing the windows to, uh, you, you know, to make it so that there's not such an intense um, reflection of the sun's rays into a concentrated point on the on the lawn, um, but in the meantime, you have you know I don't know how many thousands you know must be hundreds of thousands of homes that were built over you know the past decade or so that have these low E windows, and people aren't certain certainly aren't going to go and just change out all of their windows. That's a very expensive thing to do. So what they're recommending now is if you have low E windows to put a screen, like just a regular window screen uh, in because the, the mesh from the screen helps to diffuse the reflection so that you don't have this intense reflection on objects in the yard or in your, in your neighboring house. Um, you know, so if you wanted a real clear view without the screen, now you can't have that you know, because so you're either you safe have to or be you're... worried about you have to be worried about your windows starting something on fire. Um, One of the other things with those with those lowy windows is sometimes they leak, and they create this yes. thing in between the two two glasses, and you can't get that clean. So well, all the yeah, all the double pane windows have have that problem. There's like a um, some kind of a a special caulking material that goes around inside between the two windows and the panes and depending on how the kind of material that they use it breaks down yeah. um, with changes in temperature and weather and then when that happens the gas that's in between or the air even yeah. if it's just plain air that's in between now you have leakage and you have problems with condensation building up in between the windows and it makes the glass cloudy and really, the only way to fix that is to replace the the panes. There's there's really no other way to fix it. Um, you know, some sometimes you can have these windows that are under warranty, but usually the warranty runs out in you know a year or two or five years or ten years, depending on the quality of the window that you get. If you're beyond the warranty, or if you sell your house to a second buyer, the the warranty is not transferable in many cases. Now you're stuck with these windows that are supposed to be energy efficient, and they're all cloudy. You can't see out of them. You have to replace them. You have to replace them, um, yeah. You can, yeah. But but also around here, there's a whole lot of construction that's going on all the time. Right. Yeah. They, uh, they just tear down something and build build more build more mm -hmm. garbage. But if you drive around and you look at all these places that are going up, in the old days, 
you used to see, they they used uh, two by fours to hold right. the structure together. It looks like toothpicks now. It looks yeah. like these skimpy little little pieces of wood. Oh, you see, this is so much better. It's so much stronger. And what about these mm-hmm. manufactured pieces of stuff that's supposed to hold up one right. floor over the other? It's literally all junk. And the industry doesn't want to hear it. Um, the CAI industry doesn't want to, to, to hear it either. I mean, they just want to poo-poo it and shove that under the floorboards. But right. And they're, and they're even starting to, uh, I've been reading some articles. I haven't um, posted any of it on my uh, website as of yet, but I've been reading some articles that the, the lumber industry is now looking to supply um, condo developers for high rises to make, instead of having them with steel or concrete framing, imagine a wood framed high rise. It just, just keeps think, getting better and better and better, doesn't it? I just it, think, it, what I mean, you know, the, the argument is that, well, it's lighter and it's less expensive and we can make more affordable housing. Well, that may be true, but how much is your fire insurance going to cost? And what about the what's, what's your, for loss of life? What, what's your life you know? worth? What's your life worth? I, exactly. You know, it's, it's such a disgrace. When mm-hmm. I look at what we're doing, I mean, we're supposed to be the biggest, the best, the wealthiest, the strongest, the this, that, and the other country in the world. And mm-hmm. basically, we're building shacks that we're paying right. outrageous sums of money for. They're not keeping right. us dry. They're not keeping us safe. They're not keeping us secure. It's a complete and utter mess. Oh, I don't know how many uh, times I hear from owners and I read stories about condom, especially condominiums and apartment buildings, multifamily buildings, with leaky windows, yeah. um, leaky roofs, leaky plumbing, uh, balconies, yes. balconies that aren't attached properly. I know, they're falling um, down. And they, so they have leaks from the balconies and they're falling, you know, they're, they're structurally unsound and, you know, you can't use them. You pay extra to have this balcony, but after so many years uh, or if the construction is poor, you can't even go out and enjoy your balcony. And not only that, but now you're finding that you have to pay thousands of dollars to your association so that they can fix these balconies. Um, and, and nobody ever says, well, you know, if we're going to, if these balconies are so expensive and they're going to be such a problem, why can't we just get rid of them, you know, just have a building without balconies. Of course, you don't dare mention that because there's some people that want their balcony. And then, you know, other people that say, well, we can't afford to, to have it. Well, you, and you can't possibly say, well, I'll have a balcony and you want because then the, then the building won't look the same. Um, you know, you open Pandora's box with these things. You know what, know you've, part- done, you've done a tremendous amount of traveling, as I have as well. Mm-hmm. And you go to all these other countries around the world. Right. They mm-hmm. have balconies that have been there for centuries. Exactly. And they're still there. You know, they're they're an integral part of the structure. They're an integral part of the culture. People use them. It's their little outdoor space, even when they're high up, one on top of the other. 
but they're and built they're not wood. Properly. They're not wood balconies That's either. Right. You That's know, right. they're they're made with concrete or you know some other uh, you know metal railings, you know cast iron or something like that. It's not cheap vinyl, uh, aluminum, and wood uh, so that wears out after so many years. So mm-hmm. we're worshiping at the the trough of cheap. Oh, it's affordable housing. That is nonsense. It is well, not affordable. You're it's fooling affordable yourselves. To purchase. It's not affordable to own. Right? You, you, people are fooling themselves by calling it right. affordable housing. You can't mm-hmm. do that. Your life is worth more than that. And if you can't mm-hmm. build a proper house, then don't build them. Right. But this, I mean, I I just cannot believe what we're doing in this country. It's unbelievable. It's incredibly unbelievable. We've got a couple of minutes left, so mm-hmm. we are we are running out. Is there anything in particular that you want to draw our attention to, or anything you're working on now that you want people to go to your website to check out? And again, the URL is um, Independent American Communities dot com independentamericancommunities.com. You could also look up my name and my website will come up, um, but there'll be a link in your promo so you can easily find me. Um, I am working, I just do a uh, blog the other day on, I I found this um, report out of Denver where a developer is planning a new 900-home community near Denver. And according to Denver 7 News and the developer, there's not going to be, he says there's not going to be an HOA. <laughs> the, name of the, communi- the name of the community is Independence. And what he's saying is that um, uh, the, the name of the developer is Tim Kraft of Kraft Companies. He told Denver, Center, Denver 7 there won't be an HOA at the Independence. Instead, a special district will run it. It's actually like a mini town, complete with elections. But because it's structured more of a tax, the home buyers can deduct their monthly fees from the, their income tax at the end of the year, said Kraft. So that's how he, he's selling this, um, this community. Well, I was curious, okay, what, what else can we find out about the community? Because as you know, when you see these um, things uh, on TV, it's just like a small little, you know, a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes. There's not much they can can squeeze into a short report like that. So I did a little searching on the internet, and I found a website for this community. And uh, you know, on the website, um, it does say that there's going to be CCNRs. All right. So this and an HOA. We, we are out of time. Yeah. So this um, this is available on your website. It is, yes. It's uh, you'll. It was posted last week. So thank you, thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining us. Please come back soon. I love thank having you. you on. Please check out our website at onthecommons.us. On the Commons is produced by OTC Multimedia Productions. Where?
finally bought my dream home to enjoy retirement life. I've made new friends and buddies, lots of parties for my wife. It seemed that life was perfect, all my neighbors felt the same. Then along came death by CCRs, life's over, I'm fair game. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell. Now there's lots of open meetings close to Justice 4HO. Those arrogant board members say what they want you to know. The CAI and ULI will help you lose it all. But I wouldn't sell that dream home yet, the writing's on the wall. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell. Not afraid or stupid, all your threats mean nothing here. Time marches on, soon you'll be gone, united we'll be there. So put your rules and CCRs up where the sun don't shine. And enjoy those precious golden years, stop messing around with mine. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell. Why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell.